Welcome to the Swim Swim Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, Olympic gold medalist, Swim Swim co-founder, Mel Stewart. And joining us today, we've got a very special guest. He is a three-time world champion, Pan-Pacific champion, Commonwealth Games champion, Olympic medalist. And now he just lifts weights and it gets huge. Please welcome James Magnuson. James, how's it going, man? Yeah, good, guys. Thanks for having me on. The most important question you got to start off with is what's your what's your Instagram handle, right? Uh, my Instagram is James Magnuson, so it's pretty simple to find. I don't think there's too many James Magnusons out there. Uh, you know what, guys? If you're out there, you need to you need to press pause. You need to go to his Instagram account. This guy's jacked. He's <laughs> uh, all he does. He, he, he's he, I, I I don't know if you're swimming or not, but you're definitely lifting weights. Yeah, that's right. I actually um a part owner in a gym equipment company. So um it's like a bit of a uh a bit of a thing that I do. I guess I'm I'm the face of the company, so I need to be uh I need to be in good shape all the time. That's an easy way to do it, man. You so what's what's this company called? How did you get involved in uh in the gym equipment business? Yeah, so it's called Habitual Equipment. Um, so we're just based in Australia at the moment. But uh, basically, some friends and I um, noticed that there was a bit of a gap in the market. Gym equipment was really hard to come by. And then when COVID hit, it turned into like steel gold. Nobody could get it. It was so expensive. Um, so we're like, let's let's fill the gap in the market. Let's do this thing. I, I've been, you know, in and around high-performance gyms since I was like 15 years old so um, I'm pretty pretty well um, versed in the industry and I, I knew a bit about designing and developing gym equipment and uh, we all put our heads together and started a company and it's it's been a wild ride. So entrepreneur and silver linings with the pandemic it's blowing your business up is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah that's correct most people were uh we're sort of struggling during COVID. We actually, um, yeah, made the most of it and, and really benefited from the whole experience. And I think that was something I saw with businesses, um, particularly in, in Australia. That's what I was exposed to. Some businesses struggled because they weren't able to adapt and change with with the um, with the times. And other businesses, you know, moved into e-commerce or moved online or, or did things differently and really thrived. And I think it was a real attitude thing of how do you view this pandemic? Do you see it as an opportunity? Do you see it as a setback? Do you, you know, wallow in pity or do you go out there and try and make things happen? And um, I made a concerted decision to attack it and try and make the most of it. And uh, yeah, here we are. It's, uh, habitualequipment.com.au doing you a solid right. folks you need to go there and check it out <laughs> we have to we have to drop that before we swim nerded up okay so we have we we, we got to say this in the front end and i was arguing with my wife about this um we saw you at austin city limits the music festival yeah. acl who by the way was was at the time may have still been owned by a u.s olympian uh bill stapleton another shout out to another olympian and um but we saw you 
And I was like, I thought it was at a distance. And my wife's Tiffany. She's like, no, he was standing right behind us. What, Coleman, what, what's your story? What's your, what, what is your memory of that moment? I, I, I gotta give, I gotta give it to Mel. I think we were at a, a, enough of a distance to where you were like, is that James Magnuson? And I was like, no, dude, why would James Magnuson be here? And you're like, I think that's James <laughs> Magnuson. And we turn around and walk 10 feet back and we're like, holy crap, that's James Magnuson. <laughs> There's like 2% okay. of humanity that is like a super face identifier and they could like work for the CIA, you know, this sort of <laughs> intelligence apparatus of the United States, this large evil organization. I would definitely be one of them. I saw the crest yeah. of your face and I'm like, that's Maggie. I'm telling you, that's him. And we, we ran up to you and you were nice enough to say hello, have a photo with us. And basically you made our day. Yeah, no, that was crazy. It's such a small world. Um, I, I remember it pretty clearly that you guys coming over and I've actually, so that was post uh, Rio Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so we'd been in LA, then Las Vegas. We'd done like five days in Vegas then come straight to um straight to Austin I think that was the second or third day of the festival in Austin (laughs) and then we ended up going from Austin to Cancun and spent a week in Cancun so um that was a wild time (laughs) I don't know what's what's wrong with our lives Coleman we're not we're not living this way what I I don't live this way what's I feel like that was failing at life that was not my post-olympics experience That that sounds like a super fun trip though. I I gotta. Did you guys just come to Austin for the festival? Because like you know, if I you talk to Australians and a lot of them talk about you know they take they take a big U.S. trip at some point in their their younger lives and like L.A. duh, Vegas duh, like Austin maybe maybe not so obvious. Did you guys just come for the festival or did you do other stuff? No, yeah yeah, it was an absolute fluke. So one of my mates, <laughs> his brother had been to Austin before. And he talk, spoke about Sixth Street and how how fun it was and how good the partying was. Um, I'm not sure. I think I spoke to a, one of the swimmers from Australia who'd gone to college there or something. I can't remember who it was. Mm. And uh, and they said, man, you've got to go to Austin. It's the best party town. Anyway, we turn up to Austin, completely unbeknownst to us, there's a musical music festival on. And we just booked <laughs> tickets on the day. Like we had no idea. We'd never heard of Austin City Limits. And the first night we went out there, I think it was a Thursday night and the town was pumping. I was like, man, is it like this all the time? And some guy was like, well, Austin City Limits is on this weekend. I was like, okay, like didn't didn't really know what it was. Then we went home and looked it up. We're like, oh man, Kendrick Lamar and Kygo and like all these guys are in town this weekend. Like what a fluke. And you're living right with God. Something's going on. So does this? So you just show up in Austin, and oh, oh, by the way, Austin City Limits is happening. ACL is happening. Um, you start a business, and a pandemic happens. But it turns out it was good for your business, and and you know, suddenly you, you've got a thriving business. Um, I'm, I've decided that I'm going to come. We're, we're going to come live with you because we need some of that good luck. We're just going to rub you. I'm not going to say where. We'll rub you on top of the head. Good luck. And we'll leave you alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny, actually. We got on the plane in, uh, I think it was in LA, and uh, we're flying to to uh, to Austin. I was like, man, there's a lot of like young people here, and everyone was like drinking at the airport before they got in our plane and stuff. 
I was like, damn, Austin is lit. Like, this place <laughs> must go off. And we were still just completely oblivious to the whole thing. <laughs> you see insane. the white beard? You see this? Yeah. I'm 29 years old. <laughs> That's what the city's done to me. <laughs> Austin, Austin, I mean, pre-pandemic, obviously, but I mean, still, you can go out to bars here still. And, like, people are out. And, I mean, it is Texas. Take Take that how you will. But... Yeah, it's like uh, Austin Austin parties, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, and funny thing about Austin, actually, so um, we're in Austin and I knew the, the Texas Longhorns swim team was there and stuff like that. I think Eddie Reese is the coach there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought, uh, and I, I'm with my mates from, from high school, so they're not that into swimming. And I was like, there's a really good swim team. Let's go check it out. So we get an Uber to the college and we just randomly walk into the pool and uh, they, were, they were training and stuff. And I didn't even say I was there. I just went and sat in the grandstand and watched some training and stuff. Nobody saw me there. And I just kind of checked it out for a bit, looked around the, the facility. And actually, one of the people that worked there came and said, uh, you know, are you guys here for training or are you, you know, part of the college? And we're like, no, we're from Australia. They're like, oh, sorry, you're going to have to leave. And they kicked us out. And I never spoke to any of the swimmers or Eddie Reese. Nobody knew I was there. I just went and kind of checked it out and saw saw what was going on. <laughs> so, so Coleman is so Eddie was my Olympic coach years ago. Eddie's been around for a yeah. long time. Eddie is uh, if Eddie had known you were there, Eddie would have probably brought you down, sat you down on deck, talked your ear off, put you in the water. Hey, why don't we get in and just do some do some time trials? <laughs> he would have he would have loved you up. And probably said, hey, why don't you be a volunteer coach and just stick around for another week? I'll feed you. <laughs> that was an opportunity. So here's yeah. the thing. That was an opportunity loss. I'm just telling you. Yeah. One yeah. negative. There's a negative. <laughs> I think um, I think potentially Jimmy Fagan was there at the time um, as well, who was, who was one of my competitors. I know him pretty well. You know, we've been on podiums and stuff together. But I, I may have bumped him at a, at a pub or a bar one night as well. But um, – yeah, kind of Eddie didn't know I was in town and I, I just sat there and watched, which was, uh, which was pretty cool. <laughs> That's definitely going to tell Eddie as soon as we see him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so what other pools have you snuck into? Now I got to know. <laughs> did, you, did you do this in uh, every American city that you went to? <laughs> no, nah, that's probably the main one. I mean, we went, to, we went and did a training camp in Auburn uh in in the lead up to um the rio olympics brett hawk kind of hosted us at auburn we stayed there and trained there um i went and did a training camp at boulder um at the university there um i can't remember what year that was but we wanted to go and train at altitude so we stayed i actually had a mate who's a pro cyclist and he lived in um in boulder so we went and stayed at his house and trained at um at the university there in in, uh in boulder so i've I've spent a little bit of time in the states and trained at a few different college pools but never with uh the college coaches or most of the time without the um the local um, athletes and stuff knowing that we were there so incognito (laughs) (laughs) i went to hawaii as well at um at the university there for about three or four weeks in the lead up to the london olympics that, London, where, did you run into Mapiandi? No, actually, funny story about this pool. So the coaches there, there was some Australian connection. I can't remember what it was. 
And everybody at this pool uh, told me that Alexander Popov had pushed a sub 50, uh, sub 50, 100 freestyle at this pool at the Hawaii University. And keep in mind, his PB was probably like 49 low off a dive. I was like, oh, that is insane. They're like, no, he did it in speedos. And, uh, and so we were there for about three weeks. And I think across that three weeks, I must have done four or five time trials because I was like, I'm going to beat this damn record that Popov set in the, the, the 90s or whatever it was. And I went like the first time I did it, I was like 50.8. I think the last one I did across the three weeks, I went 50.1 push in training in speedos like just in in training togs and uh i didn't get it and then a few of the coaches came over at the end and they're like man that was insane we've never seen anyone push 100 freestyle that fast in training i was like oh but pop of the record they're like man you're kidding like the guy's pb was only fast than that he could have pushed 52 maybe 51 at best <laughs> i was like oh my god i've been stewing on it all week I was like, I can't beat this damn Popov record. Like, I know that I can swim faster than him. And uh, it just stressed me out that whole camp. And then the coaches told me at the end that it was just a G up, that he'd never done it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's cruel. I'm trying, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find his personal best time because if you got it wrong, the swim nerds will just come after us. Yeah, yeah. I might have been like 48. 48 mid-ish, I guess. It was a 48. He was a 48. Because Mabiani was, what, 48-4 in 1988. Puffov was, was faster. Um, so we, 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 can leave it, we can leave it there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's still pretty epic. Did What was the training camp at Auburn like? Did Were you guys still just training with the Aussies, or did you guys intermingle with anyone who was there? Just Aussies. Yeah, so we took the whole Australian team there. Um all the coaches, all our staff, um, we kind of took over the whole area. Um, but we weren't allowed in the football gym. No <laughs> one was allowed to go in the football gym. We couldn't see what was happening in there. But it was, um, uh, I think it must have been break time for, for students because there wasn't many students around. The town was actually pretty quiet at the time. Um, so we didn't really see any of the other swimmers. And the American team was probably probably at that time in camp as well um preparing for the olympics i'd say i i i think unless it's a football game auburn is always pretty quiet that that yeah, town's okay. pretty small <laughs> yeah 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 some of the, there's some interesting characters cutting about that's for sure <laughs> i think it'd be a tough place it's pretty but it'd be a tough place to live yeah i reckon so yeah. Do we do we do we need to dive in and swim nerd this up? Do we need to get we need, yeah. we need to chlorinate this thing, or we're going to get called out? We're, <laughs> we're we're dovetailing into it. So so these these are some epic training camp stories. Um, I know. Did you guys do the relay camps when you were on on Team Australia? Because I've heard I've talked to like you know Clyde Lewis, Mac Horton, and they say that the relay camps are really where it's at for you guys. Yeah, kind of. So we did them um, a little bit earlier in my career. Um, at the time we had like Eamon Sullivan, um, Matt Target, um, Michael Klim made like a little comeback there at one stage Ian thought made a bit of a comeback, a bit of a cameo appearance. They never actually swam in our relay team, but they kind of, um, did a couple of those camps and stuff. They were pretty cool. Um, I, you know, 
we would separate our relay camps. So they'd be men's four by 100 camps only. No distance swimmers allowed. Um, and they, they were my favorite camps because we'd just go like head to head on heaps of racing and stuff. We'd compare all our skills, our starts, our turns. And for me, coming through as a young swimmer, as like an 18-year-old when I first made the Australian team, that was probably where I did the bulk of my learning. And uh, I guess for older swimmers, they start to, like in, in the later years in your career, you, you race fast in big competitions and big meets, but you don't always swim fast in time trials or around training and stuff. But as a younger swimmer, you're good to go like five days of the week. So coming through as an 18-year-old, we go on these relay camps mid-season and like I'd get up on the blocks next to like Eamon Sullivan and stuff and be beating him in time trials. And and as a young guy, you'd like layer up a bit and stuff like that. And I used to love it um, coming through in those camps. Um, it was it was really good fun. I mean, what was what was what was the best time you dropped it at one of those camps? Do you remember? Uh, so. I mean, I'd, some of the best stuff I did at those camps, so we do like um, 50s push. Um, so they'd line us all up and we'd do like say 350s on like a big rest push and I could push sub 23 seconds. So I'd push like 22.8 or 22.9 and that was like some of the most impressive stuff I ever did um, and and everyone would be like chest beating and stuff and um I, I'd do those I'd do those sub 23s breathing twos at 100 meter stroke rate um and some of the guys would go like hypoxic at like 50 meter stroke rate and I'd still I'd still get it done breathing twos um and, and that was yeah that was that was some of the most impressive stuff that I used to do at those at those uh camps I have, I have a really dumb question Michael Clem did he try to swim freestyle or, or experiment with doing butterfly kick, dolphin kick with his freestyle? Did he do that like yeah, in the last 10 meters of his, you know, what? I know he did something like that. It certainly looked weird, but a lot of people talked about it. And it's, uh, I'd like to know if somebody eyes on the ground was there. What was he doing? Yeah, it was last like 10, 15. So when he'd hit that wall of like um, peak lactic acid and he's, struggle to keep that kick rate up he'd switch it to butterfly kick i don't know i think he toyed with it for about a season or two um i mean it worked all right for him he was probably swimming like um 48 point at the time um so it, it worked pretty well for him um but i don't know i think for me personally to throw my rhythm rhythm and my timing out but i, I think he, he did it when he went hypoxic at the end as well so it was probably a little easier he didn't have to get that breath in um but yeah weird theory but he was an insane butterfly kicker like he was really good underwater um so and he came from a butterfly background as well a bit so it, it worked for him but pretty unique i don't think it would work for many people maybe a caleb dressel or something it might work for given his background maybe maybe but you know before we get too deep into this let's uh i, I would like to frame this entire conversation maybe re, uh through a certain lens and I'll, and I'll preface it by saying this because it could go a negative way or a positive way. I think in the United States with its vast population and resources, we have always been uh, enamored. There's a little bit of a love affair 
um, because we look at the island nation of Australia and we know how small, how small the population is, and you guys bring it every time. You really do. I mean, th- if you think about it, if you took Orange County in Southern California, I think the population of Orange County, California is comparable to or maybe slightly small, uh, slightly bigger than the entire population of Australia. Is that in the back of your head? When you were competing against Team USA, were you thinking, we're, we're, we're pulling from 30 million people? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Um, I think our coaches, um, particularly in years gone by, use that to like pump us up. They're like, you know, we're actually 20 million people in here in Australia. And they say, you know, we've got 20 million people and we're, we're punching above our weight. And it's something that we're proud of. Um, we're similar to that in, in most sports that we compete in on a world stage, like uh, rugby, which, which you guys are getting into now. Um, you know, we've had world champions in tennis, surfing, golf, you know, we, we punch above our weight. Um, but sport here is, is more of a religion. Um, sport is, is a very serious thing in Australia. And uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you guys have spent a lot of time down here or not, but swimming, um, it's starting to fade a little bit now, to be honest, in Australia. But um, certainly when I grew up and through through my career, swimming is like one of the sports. You know, if, if you're a, if you're a, an Olympic swimmer or, you know, particularly in, in some events, it's like you're a rock star in Australia. And, and uh, so it's taken very seriously. There's a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of media attention. Um, but it's, it's a very important thing in Australia and it's something that we take very seriously. So it's a blessing and a curse in some ways. Like I, I loved coming to us to America and being able to walk down the street or even go to the local pool. And like I said, I went to um, the pool in Austin, the, the home of the Longhorns and nobody, nobody recognized me. Like that's insane. Um, you know, if, if I was in that same, um, uh, that same music festival, like Austin city limits in Australia, I wouldn't be able to do what I was doing there and just hang out in the, in the general area and just do my thing, you know, there'd be people hassling me everywhere. So um, it's, it's a good thing in Australia, but it's also a tough thing at times, but we do take pride in the fact that we punch above our weight, um, particularly in the, in the Olympic games. A lot to unpack there. I just want to say this. I'm so sorry. I, I want, I'm so sorry, James, that, that you've had to suffer through fame for your swimming, <laughs> because that's something that we never had here. We had it with Michael Phelps. When Michael Phelps broke the seam, I'll, just, I'll be real, real fast. For Michael Phelps, you knew to say that swimming was a hobby and not a real sport. And it was like this weird culture thing. You know, we were proud amongst ourselves, but let's be honest. There was no ball. If you're not catching the ball, it's not real. Until Michael Phelps, I never, I never stepped up and said, yeah, I'm a swimmer. But apparently you had to suffer through fame. And I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> it ter- sounds terrible. sounds awful. Yeah, see, if if, um, if we had the equivalent in, in, say, high school or college of, of your swimming system, um, if you were good at swimming and you were good at football, you'd go for swimming. So that's, that is the example in Australia. Mind blown. <laughs> Mind yeah, that's blown. wild. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coleman, we yeah. could have been cool. <laughs> we could have been cool. <laughs> Should have just hopped to the pond. 
gone to Australian high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, aware, right. we're yeah. aware of that. So, you know, that, that's just an interesting observation, but it's um, okay. So let's, it really is extraordinary how, how Australia has performed. And, uh, and, and was that something that motivated you going, you know, we're, we're going to be competing against the, you know, the rest of the world, but also team USA and we're going to bring it. Did that motivate you? Uh, I think my first years on the team when I was like 18, 19 years of age, it did. Um, but then uh, I guess as, as a team, uh, as an Australian team, we probably focus less on um, like this is a team thing and, you know, it's us versus America. It becomes more of an individual thing and, and you break off into your smaller coaching groups and your relay teams and stuff like that and speak about individual goals. And then, you know, as you start to reach the pinnacle of, of at certain events, it becomes a very intrinsic thing of, all right, I'm here to do a job. What's my goals? What's my race plan? How do I execute this race plan? Because if you start going into these, these big events going, it's me against the world, you probably lose sight of the process. And um, personally for me, whenever I focused on process is when I got my best results. When I started focusing on outcomes and, um, you know, thinking about the bigger picture is when I was had the potential of getting distracted and, and losing sight of what I needed to, to do to execute and to get that result. And so I, I want to touch on, you know, the first, you, you had some big meets in, in 2010, but um, one of your first biggest kind of breakout meets was world champs in 2011 when, when at least I remember um, I was in high school and my coach was, was telling us the results. And he's like, some Australian dude let off in like 47, four and they won the relay. Uh, what <laughs> that, that your first world championships in 2011, leading off that relay t- put me behind the blocks. What was that like for you? Yeah. So leading into that world championships, I've got pneumonia and, uh, it was touch and go whether I was going to go the world champ. So I hadn't really been training for a few weeks leading into it. I flew over separately to the rest of the Australian team. I flew over later. Um, I wasn't one of the big names on the Australian team. Um, I, I'd won our, our national championships and beat Eamon Sullivan for the first time, but there wasn't really a lot of expectation on me. My, my personal goals were to make the final at that world championships um, and to just start to mix it. This was the first time I'd gone to a major international event and swum individually as well so i had some different goals but anyway we got to that uh, we got to the relay um the the coaches chose not to swim me in the heat of that relay because i'd been so sick they said this guy's only got one swim in him so put him <laughs> in the final not the heat. Our, our heat team didn't swim very well we nearly missed the final we ended up out in lane two and uh basically i, I think part of the rhetoric for us going into that race was we don't know where we're at this is a building year for us. Um, let's just lead off James and see how he goes. He's this young guy. He hasn't done much international racing. Let's lead him off and see what happens. Anyway, we're in the marshalling area and uh, you sit one through to four. First swimmer at the front, the anchor swimmer up the back. And uh, one of the Russian swimmers just stood up out of, uh, out of his chair and came across and stood in front of me in my chair and he just started slapping himself and staring me down a bit. And I was, I've, I've come from um, 
a rugby league background in Australia. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of rugby league. It's like a version of rugby union, a little rougher, a little more working class. And so I enjoy confrontation. Um, I come from a contact sport. And, uh, and so when he started somewhat in trying to intimidate me, that, that cheated me up. And I stood up and sort of told him what I thought of him. I don't know if he understood it because I said it in English. He was Russian, but I t- basically told him to, to back off. And then I had Matt Target in the team with me as well. He's also a pretty alpha dude. And he got up and came over and we exchanged words with the Russians. And uh, I don't know why the Russians picked me to, to have a bit of a crack at. But anyway, so we... Eamon Sullivan ended up coming and speaking to me. He was the calm head in the team. He's like, man, you need to calm down. You need to focus on your race. And I just said to him, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to smash these Russians. I'm going to smash these guys. And so we walk out to the blocks and I'm just like pumped up. And I'm usually a very relaxed guy. And I I swim my best when I'm very relaxed. But on this one occasion, I was like, I'm going to smash these guys. And I also had on the blocks, it was my first ever time racing Michael Phelps. He was leading off for the Americans and Elaine Bernard was leading off for the French. <laughs> and Elaine Bernard was like someone, he'd just, he'd won the um, 2008 Beijing Olympics. He was this big jacked guy. And I was like, man, I want to be big and jacked like Elaine Bernard. I want to swim a hundred freestyle. Uh, so I was just so excited for this race. Like I had these Russians. I wanted to smash the Russians. I was racing Michael Phelps for my first time and I was racing Elaine Bernard for the first time. And I remember uh, Michael Phelps does the iconic slap before he races. So standing on the blocks just before they say, take your marks, I hear this big slap. And I'm like, damn, man, this is Michael Phelps. I was like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm doing it. And, uh, and I, just, I just swam a really good race. Like I was just so G'd up for it. Uh, I went out quite, quite easy the first 50, which I always do. I think I turned about sixth. And then I just switched the afterburners on that second 50 meters. And I could see as I was swimming, I was, I'm like looking across underwater. I'm like, I'm beating Michael Phelps. I'm beating Elaine Bernard. Um, I, I was just like living in a dream at the time. And uh, it's probably, probably top two or three races of my life um, where everything just came nicely. Um, you know, I pulled away that last 15 meters. I got us a big lead. And then uh, the rest of the swimmers in the team were able to capitalize on that. And, and we won um, the, the first, that was the first time we'd won a big relay event, probably almost going back as far as the Sydney Olympics um, for, for us in Australia. And, and um, you know, it was an early memory for me was watching that Sydney Olympics team when Ian Thorpe anchored the team and they won that relay. So, yeah, it was just a perfect storm. Like I was so excited. I was so G'd up. Michael Phelps, Elaine Bernard, the Russians. And there's a, a, an iconic photo in Australia of um, myself, Matt Target and Matt Abood. So Eamon was still in the water. He was anchoring it. And we're doing like this big scream and flex. And it looks like we're celebrating the race. We were actually turned facing the Russians and we were flexing at the Russians just going, yes, like cop that. <laughs> So they can take they can take a bit of credit for that. They cheat us, and and we got the result. Um, and so that was that was really cool. That was one of my favourite moments um, as a swimmer that I look back on. Is, is that is that a, is that, a, is, that a, I just say, is, is that a big breakthrough moment? Like, do you, do you go back home and then it's like it, your 
you're famous at that point? Is it like, is your life blow up? Yeah. So after that relay, so swimming had gone through a weird phase in Australia where the TV rights had changed. Um, and basically they pushed the swimming that year back. They were showing like reruns of like American sitcoms and the swimming was being shown at like 10 p.m., 11, 11 p.m. at night. So all of a sudden yes. it had a little, bit of a, a little bit of a fall from fame in Australia. Anyway, that relay happens. And then I think four nights later, I'm going into the 100 freestyle final as the favourite. And so back in Australia, um, little to little did I know, things are blowing up. Everyone's going nuts. We've finally got a big name swimmer again. He, he's in the 100 freestyle. It's like the Blue Ribbon event. So they decide to put the, that 100 freestyle race on prime time. They interrupt all programs. Um, they do a special cross and it's my race, the only race of the meet for Australia live on prime time in Australian television. So everyone's, everyone's hyped for it. And then I win, I win that, uh, that 100 freestyle. Again, do the same thing, go out easy, come back really fast in that last 25 metres, blow past Cesar Cielo and some other big names in that event and win the 100 freestyle. But I'm over in China and the, the Chinese had a ban on like social media over there, so I don't have access to my Facebook. Uh, I didn't have access really to any emails or anything. I'd spoken to my agent once or twice and he's like, yeah, things are big here, man. Like things, things are going well. And then I went away with my mum and my brother after, uh, after the Shanghai World Champs to Beijing just for a week, just to spend some time with my family. So I live away from my family here in Australia and don't get a chance to see them very often. So me and my mum and my brother go to China and uh, go to Beijing, spend a week. And then we come back on the plane and uh, we fly back economy like all's normal. Walk off the plane and uh, walk walk out to, towards to get my luggage, and it's like six a.m. in the morning in Australia, and there's just this mass of people. I'm like, wow, the airport's pretty busy for six a.m. We walk out, and it's just camera crews, photographers, journalists, um, people with signs, um, people asking for autographs, people screaming. And uh, pretty much from that moment onwards, like my life was never really the same. Things, things changed. So I, I can have a definitive point in my life, like before that world championships and after that world championships, being able to walk down the street, not being able to walk down the street. Like um, that was, uh, that was a defining point in, in my life. Um, and um, things got very crazy there for a while after that world championships um particularly the next two or three years so it's it's something that i look back on fondly um but the the thing that i loved about that world championships was um i didn't feel any pressure or expectation i was so naive to what was happening um you know i was only would have turned 20 by then probably just turned 20 um and just didn't it didn't even acknowledge how big of a moment that was until I realized I got off that plane and, uh, and saw the, the ruckus back here in Australia. No, you got something. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, no, no. I was just going to say, dude, this is so good. This is so good. And we're running down on time. We've only gotten to 2011. We've got to bring you back and <laughs> go through your history. Now, yeah. we got to, dude, you have to come back. You have to come back and tell us everything. I just want to say this. I followed you, just followed you on Instagram. And uh, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, we can come back. We can do the rest of the history. Maybe you give us a workout on your habitual equipment.com.au. And uh, <laughs> we'll love you up. But we've got to get the rest of this, man, because we're down to a minute now. So good. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of stories. A lot of stories. All right. So so that settles it. Uh, James, thank you so much for dropping in. This You've mesmerized us for the last 40 minutes. We're running out of time. But uh, we're bringing you back for, for Stories with Magnuson Part 2. Yeah, absolutely. I'm keen to come back. I've actually just been asked to come and do a show in america as well a tv show a very well-known one so i mean i'm in talks at the moment with the producers of that tv show it's on mtv so maybe we'll have something exciting to talk about potentially in america in the future who knows but um yeah i've got a lot of a lot of stories to talk about um so i'd love to come back on and chat with you guys it's been really cool you've been listening to the swim swam podcast Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.